All right, welcome to the 32nd episode of the Latch Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Lacho, and tonight I'm lucky enough to be joined by NBA senior writer at Bleacher Report, Howard Beck. Howard, how are you doing? I'm great, Sam. How are you? I'm good. So, I mean, your your job went from being like a eight- to nine-month job to now it's a 12, if not a 13- or 14-months, given that it's so, so hectic and busy at all times, I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean, this offseason obviously has been crazier than most, uh, but the idea of the NBA as a year-round league, at least in terms of making news and being relevant and stirring the discussion, it feels like we've been heading this direction for a while. I think we hit the 12th month probably a while back. Although it's really still, I think, at max 11 months. Uh, you know, there's somewhere, you know, somewhere mid-August or so when things are really, really quiet to about mid-September. Doesn't mean a trade couldn't break. And then, of course, especially this year, there's this lingering, looming, you know, Kyrie Irving and Carmelo Anthony situations where one or the other could break at any moment, and I, I don't know that that's going to happen. You know, it's, we're, we're taping this on July 26th, and uh, it may well be well into August or in September because in both cases, they're very complicated situations to get resolved. And so uh, while I think one or both are probably likely to be moved, it, it may well mean that uh, things are going to go to 11th or 12th month. But fortunately, uh, I'm going on vacation regardless. <laughs> yeah, no, as you uh... – as you should. I'm wondering, do you think uh, do you think the whole concept of the league becoming a 12 or 11 month season? Do you think a lot of that uh, has to do with, or do you think it changed from, let's say, an eight or nine month to uh, quote unquote 11, 12 month? Do you think that a lot of that was due to Twitter? Was it due to kind of the decision, which I guess also kind of occurred while Twitter and social media was blowing up as it pertains to reporting on sports, or could it be that? the decision, for example, became so big in part because of its use of social media, or do you think there's like another reason uh, why it all happened? The, the, it's several reasons. One of them is that Summer League, you know, Summer League in capitals now, the Summer League in Las Vegas, which involves, you know, uh, the majority of the league, has created a, a new platform for the NBA, you know, 15 years ago, there was an L.A. Summer League and a Boston Summer League in Orlando and Utah, and so they were splintered, and teams went to maybe a couple of them, but no one Summer League had a majority of the league at it, and now the Summer League has become an event over the last, you know, starting 10 years ago, and really picking up steam over the last four or five, so there's that. So now there's a two-week span where the NBA is firmly still in everybody's consciousness. Here are all these rookies who are playing. All the GMs are there. The owners are now having a meeting there. There's all this stuff going on around that. So July, even aside from free agency, has, has that as an anchor. Part of it is simply fan appetite. The growth of the NBA in, in terms of its popularity and uh, you know, basketball you know, really moving into – you know, at, at worst, the number two sport in, in the U.S., and at worst, number two worldwide. I mean, it's second only to soccer internationally, and I think domestically it's second only to the NFL. And so just the, the fact that it's at its all-time peak in popularity means that there are that many more people who are engaged and willing to talk about it in the offseason. And then on top of that, as you mentioned, social media. So uh, NBA Twitter is a very uh, real and, and strong um, place may not be physical place, but it is a very vibrant, uh, you know, community, NBA Twitter. And 
that carries it, it as well. There's a, there's just a, a momentum there that goes straight from the finals to the draft to free agency and summer league, and you know, folks want to keep talking. So you know, all of that has contributed to making it kind of a, a year-round league almost. And I think you know the NBA probably loves it. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the uh, players that you mentioned that contributed to why uh, this summer has been uh, blazing hot for the NBA is Kyrie Irving, I, and I. I have a lot of different thoughts as it pertains to the the Cavaliers, but I'm curious from from for, from your perspective in terms of like the Cavalier dysfunction. If you were splitting this up in terms of like a, a pie graph, um, what uh, or pie chart? I don't know what a pie graph is. Um, what what percentage would you give for the reason for the dysfunction to Dan Gilbert? How much would you give to LeBron? How much would you give to Kyrie Irving, and how much would you give to an other if there's some, somebody or someone else that I'm uh, forgetting? Well, it's, it's, a, it's almost a trick question because all roads lead back to ownership in these situations. You know, uh, LeBron didn't wake up one day and decide, I'm going to start suddenly signaling that I might leave. And I'm not saying he even did that, but I think people are reading some tea leaves that are fair to read. And so it's fair to say that maybe, you know, LeBron is responsible at least for some of the doubt about his future. That's fair to say, but that road leads back to Dan Gilbert as well. You know, I, I was told a couple months ago, long before this became a, a much bigger story, you know, there were been rumblings, of course, about LeBron maybe leaving in 2018. And, and when I've asked why that is, and, you know, somebody said to me definitively, adamantly, it's because of Dan Gilbert, that LeBron just doesn't, he was, he was never really happy about um, necessarily getting back into that partnership. Uh, he wanted to go home. He wanted to play for the Cavaliers again. He, you know, he obviously has his Akron roots. There are all these reasons to go back. But LeBron himself has said publicly in a video that his production company posted that his family and friends, including his mom, were not thrilled with the idea of him going and playing for Dan Gilbert's team again. So that's never gone away. So, you know, Kyrie Irving's situation, you know, that, that may be because it, it's, it might simply just be on Kyrie. If, if it's as we've been told, as many of us have reported and have heard, if it's primarily about Kyrie Irving wanting his own team and wanting to break free of LeBron's shadow, then that's on Kyrie Irving. However, there's also a case to be made, and Brian Windhurst, who knows that franchise better than anyone, has made this case, that certainly the instability of the franchise is playing a role here, or is likely to be playing a role. And eventually we'll hear from Kyrie Irving and or his people, and and maybe we'll get more clarity on what's driving his trade request. But... You know, if it doesn't, if it also does involve a waning faith in the franchise, then that goes back to Dan Gilbert too. And we've certainly heard plenty of speculation that the you know bungling of the David Griffin situation, and then the bungling of, of trying to hire Chauncey Billups, and then here we are on July 26th, they finally introduced Kobe Altman as their new GM. You know, not having a GM, you know, through all the critical times of summer, a, a full-time permanent GM who was empowered to make those moves instead going with an interim staff until they were finally secured. That's not the way to run a franchise. So, you know, I don't know how that pie chart breaks down exactly, but it's at least 90% Dan Gilbert. If you're at the question is who's responsible for the dysfunction and the cloud hanging over the Cavaliers. So I guess my, my only, I guess, question and or like a pushback just generally is, like Le- Le- LeBron obviously came back knowing the what the ownership situation was and knowing that like it was what it was and it was probably at, like the most constant uh, element with, within the Cavaliers and so he still decided to 
join it even with even with that. So that like remains constant during his time there. But I think what like seems like it wasn't constant was, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if his like commitment is, is the right term, or I guess like the relationship that he had with, uh, players and teammates. Cause I guess like the analogy that I've kind of, kind of used throughout the, 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 uh, the LeBron Cleveland, uh, situation in this, in, in the second go around is like, it kind of seems like it's equivalent to like you having a, a roommate and uh, one person wants to live with the other person more than the other. And so the uh, person who doesn't have as much uh, leverage is trying to do anything to appease the person, like giving them the bigger room, giving them an AC unit, giving them whatever they need. And even with all that, with all that being said, the person is still flirting with other roommates to live with and doing other stuff. And I guess that's just kind of how I felt about LeBron since he got there is that he's been consistently like, talking with talking with other players obviously the idea of him going leaving the the team wasn't something that was started by someone else i'm assuming that's like uh rumors that where there's obviously validity that it comes from his camp so i'm wondering if this like idea of the team always needing to be needing to be better and that there's uh there, there there's always something more there i feel like that has to create some type of instability and a little bit of a chip on their shoulder of, of other people within the franchise And, you know, I, 
most people don't at this point begrudge him that. And if, but if, if you know, just, just because he made that decision and that it was the right choice at that time, doesn't mean he's beholden to stay with the Cavaliers in perpetuity, especially if he sees that Dan Gilbert is still, uh, you know, acting in ways that are creating turmoil. And he is. And so if that means LeBron wants to use his free agency next summer to go somewhere with less turmoil or a different environment, it's his right. I, I, I don't I don't see you know what there is necessarily to criticize there. Yeah, no, I think I think I I think the whole aspect of, of player to, to ownership dynamics is is completely fair. And I th- and and I, and I and I think from that angle, I totally uh, totally understand. I guess so. So I guess my question is to, to pivot a little bit to to the David Griffin situation. Is it seems like a lot of what people love about David Griffin um, is not. I mean, it could. I mean, it could be some of the some of the moves he made. Although obviously, like hindsight is twenty twenty, and some of them don't look. Um, as good though, it'd be interesting to see what everyone actually thought at the time. But it seems like the the big X factor in terms of David Griffin's skills and what he brought to the table was his relationship binding. And obviously, like the the timing for getting rid of him was ridiculous. But I'm just curious if if his 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 ability to handle egos, if that's kind of his X factor, just because I don't think he he doesn't strike me as a as a Savant as it comes to making like the the greatest trades and 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 signings possibly. Uh, I mean, I would I would take issue with that a little bit. Um, you know, first of all, you know, when LeBron comes back and he wants Kevin Love there, they had to you know they had to create the trade that would do it. Now they had a great chip in Andrew Wiggins. He originally tried, of course, to hold him out of the any deal for uh, for Love. Ultimately, of course, had to, to give that up. Obviously, the Timberwolves weren't going to give up Love with, without getting Wiggins back, and that was the, the right stance by them. But they, they made a good deal for Kevin Love. Um, and they had to make a bunch of deals because nobody knew LeBron was coming back until all of a sudden he signaled that he wanted to. And all of a sudden they had to make deals, and Griffin had just become the permanent GM, had to make a series of deals to clear the cap room to do that. There, there were a lot of mechanics involved there. Um, and so there's there's that. When it was clear they didn't have quite the supporting cast that they needed, he traded virtually nothing to pick up J.R. Smith and Iman Shepard and traded a couple of picks to get Timothy Mozgov. And he's the one who, I believe he's the one who brought in Delavadova. So, they, you know, it's easy for people to say, well, once you have LeBron, you know, you know, everything else is, is a fait accompli. But it's not. You need the supporting cast. We've seen this over and over and over. It's never enough to have one of the best players or even the best player in the game. And, you know, we can start to pick apart other things if you want. You know, in hindsight, you say, well, the Tristan Thompson contract's a bad contract. The Devon Shumpert contract's a bad contract. Okay, but those are things that they had to do at that time in the situation they were in. They sure. had a championship-caliber team. Totally. They had to keep it together, and those guys have been playing really well. And I don't know if they're living up to their contracts, certainly not Shumpert, but he was much better a couple of years ago when he got the contract. So I think it's, he does have great relationships, not only with players within the Cavaliers, um, but I think Griffin managed people well. His staff uh, appreciated him. He had good relationships across the league with other GMs. So the, the role of the GM is, is much more than just, okay, let's list the transactions they were responsible for. Yeah, absolutely. So um, last like two questions I have for you is, um, A, uh, I feel like we hear a lot that um, so many teams are playing for like multiple years from now because of, the the Warriors and what they can bring to the table. I think a lot of that ends up being like the the marginal teams. And I'm wondering, like, from what you hear when you talk to um, 
execs or players from like all different teams is is there really like a sense of this team is invincible i mean i know like teams i know teams like the rockets clearly like think that they have a shot and are going all out and like you see what the the, the thunder are doing but i'm also wondering if if there's other reasons beyond that in terms of it's, it could also be a long-term play with some of these moves that are being made so i'm just wondering whether whether generally there's like there is any sense of optimism or there is a sense of optimism that the warriors won't necessarily run the league for the next two three years whenever the draymond and clay contracts also expire yeah, I mean, for the first part of it, I, I think that every team acts based on its own interests and on its own stage of development. So if you're the Lakers who are really young, the Warriors have no impact on you. You're not making any moves that have anything to do with the Warriors because you know that your uh, your youth, your you know the guys, you know Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Randall, you're waiting on their development. And maybe you know, obviously, they're clearing cap room to try to. to land a couple of guys next summer, maybe they get LeBron and Paul George, but they would do that regardless. It has nothing to do with the Warriors. So they're, right. they're, that's their timeline. Youth now, maybe free agency next summer. Um, the Sacramento Kings, clearly in a stage of, of, of uh, rebuilding, having moved on from DeMarcus Cousins. A ton of youth, signed a couple of veterans to kind of tutor the kids. The Warriors have no impact on them. So the teams that the Warriors have an impact on are the teams that think they'd be championship ready, if not for this behemoth that's been created in, in Oakland. So, you know, that being the case, you know, if you're the Rockets and you've got James Harden and you, you won, you know, 55 games, it, it's not just that you need to be the worst. It's just you need to get better, period. Right. Um, and they didn't get past the Spurs. So, uh, you know, it's funny because I talked to Daryl Morey about this a few weeks ago for a story I did, and you, on the record, said, I think a lot of the activity this summer has to do with the Warriors. And I said, but Daryl, I didn't quote this part of it, but I said, but Daryl, Knowing you, you would have gone out and gotten Chris Paul regardless. He's like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> right. I mean, because that's, that's who he is. Daryl right. has always been aggressive, and he's always been about trying to land stars. And he's going to go and try to get Carmelo Anthony, um, and is continuing to try to get Carmelo, uh, because that's what he would do regardless. That, that, that has nothing to do with the Warriors. Now, you need as much talent as possible to even have a hope of knocking them off. But the Rockets would have been making these moves regardless. You know, the Thunder would have gone out and gotten Paul George regardless. Um you know, teams are acting, I think, based, you know, on, on what they think is in their interest. Now, if you are a team that's somewhere in the middle anyway, maybe you adjusted your horizon a little bit. Maybe you're saying, you know what, we're not in a rush to try to contend right now. We're young. We've got, you know, guys who haven't hit their peak years yet. Um, rather than go all in right now, let's let's just let this thing develop a little bit slower. You know, I, I guess that's possible if teams in the middle are doing that. But um, I think the, the Warriors impact on all this free agent madness and just all you know, these all, all these stars changing teams this summer i i think it's been overstated how much of a link there is to the warriors yeah absolutely i'd agree with that and my my last question with you is i'm just curious from what you've heard i mean i know that i don't think the cba is up for still like a couple couple more years but i'm i'm just curious from an optics standpoint if if for some reason like westbrook and george both leave the Thunder, and you also have LeBron leave. And let's say these three guys like all bolt to bigger markets. Is there a reason for the NBA as a league to be worried that you have this uh, small and you have like a, a team like Utah losing Hayward, and obviously George for, at, at first leaving the the Pacers? Do you think there's reason for NBA owners and the NBA generally to be worried that in this new league, especially with like new CBA stuff from before, that the, because the stars have so much power that these small teams have reason to be uh, 
be worried? Yeah, I think they do have reason to be worried. I think that they already are worried. I think they've been worrying for years, and I think that, that concern has only grown in light of more recent moves. You know, whether we, we want to go back to LeBron in 2010 or Carmelo then forcing his way out of, of Denver the next year and Chris, Chris Paul forcing his way out of New Orleans that same year, um, you know, the, the vast majority of superstar movement, when it happens, whether by trade uh, or free agency, it's usually going small to big market. Now, Paul George got traded from Indiana to Oklahoma, so he went from small to tiny. But Paul George may well leave next summer for L.A. has been rumored. We'll see if that happens or not. And, you know, Gordon Hayward leaving Salt Lake to go to Boston. Most of the free agent movements, you know, and I know, you know David Stern said at the time, and he's right, Miami's not a big market. It's, it's, it's middle. It's not big. It's not small. It's somewhere in the middle of the pack for NBA markets. But Miami's a glamour market. And right. so I, I do think that if you are the Indiana Pacers, the Milwaukee Bucks, or the Memphis Grizzlies, if you're Oklahoma, if you're any of these teams that are in the smaller markets, and especially if it's a small market and a cold weather city, you know, a place that's not necessarily as desirable to live, I, I think you've got a tough. I think that if you if you create a championship team, look, if the Timberwolves are as good as we think they might be with having acquired Jimmy Butler and some of the other additions they've made, you know, maybe Wiggins and Towns decide they want to spend the rest of their careers there. Maybe right. they sign contract after contract, and, and we'll see another small market, uh, you know, perennial contender in Minnesota. Maybe. But I think the the, uh, the difficulty is, is just higher. The degree of difficulty is higher for a team in a small market to keep a, a, a contender together because the lure temptation of the bigger markets or the glamour markets or the warm weather markets, I think it's just really high. And we are in, a, in an era where stars are feel much freer to, to move on and not worry about backlash. I, I wrote about this back in June, that they don't feel the, those same, you know, uh, that, that, that same binding obligation that guys did in previous generations. You can judge it any way you want. It's just reality. They don't feel that same need to, to you know, these, these quaint ideas of loyalty. So, that being the case, you know, they're more likely to move. They're more likely to talk to their, to their friends around the league who are the other stars about, hey, where can we link up together? And, you know, they're not all talking about, with all, you know, apologies to Memphis. They're not They're not conspiring to all go to Memphis. Right. They're not conspiring to all play together in Oklahoma. They're conspiring to, to play in L.A. or Houston. Um, you know, uh, amazingly, they're not conspiring to play for the Knicks, but, you know, <laughs> New York has created a lot of obstacles to that over the years. But yeah. but that's the case. And, look, you know, a couple of years from now or, or, or sooner, we may see Mike Anthony Davis forcing his way out of New Orleans yeah. and he'll be starting over yet again. And, you know, if he does get traded, probably not, again, not going to Indiana, not going to Memphis, not going to Detroit. If he's forcing his way out, it's probably going to be to one of the big markets of the glamour market. So I, I think it's a tough thing. I think it's something that I don't know that there is any real answer for for the league. Ultimately, you have to just you know respect the fact that players, when given the choice, are, are going to sometimes move on. And some places are more attractive than others to them. And there's only so much restriction you can put on that because these guys should have a right to, to uh, you know, choose their own path. You know, the draft already restricts them for several years. There are all kinds of contract incentives that, that kind of, you know, um, 
you know, induce them to, to restrict themselves to staying put for, for more money. At some point, you have to just say, look, enough's enough. There's not anything else we can do. If guys want to move on, they're going to move on. But there is a, a well-established trend here over the last several years, and I think it's, like I say, it, it may only get more pronounced with guys leaving small markets. And so, yeah, I've, I've got sympathy for the, those, those teams and the fans of those teams. It's tough, but um, that's, that's just the reality. Yeah, no, I think that I think that all makes uh, that all makes sense. I guess my uh, my Brooklyn Nets are, are are treading the line between between small and big at this uh, at this point. I don't even know what they what they would even be considered. But uh, the, the, the Nets, yeah, yeah they're, they're they're a funny case, right? Because they're the, you know the, obviously a big market team by definition, and you know the, you know Brooklyn itself, where I live, you know the. the you know, it would be one of the biggest cities in the country if it were a standalone city with right. half a million people. Uh, but they they do, you know, their profile is almost like a small market team because they're in the shadow of the Knicks because they've been bad uh, because they just they, they just haven't had the ability to to leverage their market size and their location. But I think they're on the right path, and I, I think that Sean Marks has had one of the best summers of any GM in the league. And it doesn't mean that they're going to be a winning team, and it doesn't mean that they're somehow on the path to the, the playoffs yet. But he's done a phenomenal job of, of you know, getting great values and, getting, and taking some risks and leveraging their cap room and their ability to absorb contracts to get picks, to get some players that are interesting. You know, it, it's, they're still a, a ways away. But I, I think Sean Marks has had a phenomenal summer, and... Uh, you know, the Nets, I think, you know, if they stay on this path, and, and I think they will, they're going to have a chance to leverage that market uh, that they that they enjoy here. And it will be an attractive place to play once they have the right surrounding cast because, you know, it, it's New York. A lot of guys want to play in New York. They, uh, the Nets have a beautiful facility. They've got a great arena. You know, the, the fan base is a little bit soft at this point, but it's <laughs> because they haven't really been given anything great to, you know, to, to draw them in and, and keep their attention, but I, but I think I think there's a willing base there, you know, ready when the Nets finally get the right product on the floor. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was I, I was I was totally content with and not content. I was overjoyed with the summer until the crab trade. I I think is like a good deal, but his but his years are one year too many for me, and he makes a lot of money. But I mean, at this point, it's. They're not really. I don't think they're attracting free agents in the next year or two. So it's pro- it's probably irrelevant when it when it comes down to it. Yeah, I mean, look, it's they they needed to do something with that cap room, and look, they were they're the ones who created the Allen Crab contract with the offer sheet a year ago anyway. And if it's a, if it's an overpay, hey, they're only paying overpaying for three years the, the, because Portland took the first year by matching it last year. So yeah. you get him. Uh, you get to look at him for now just the, the three years. Uh, he's still young with plenty of upside, and you know they clearly liked him in the first place to have signed him to that offer sheet a year ago. D'Angelo Russell, we'll see what he becomes. That yeah. was a worthy gamble. He's the key. And you know, Damari Carroll, you know, taking him on meant they got a, a first and a second round pick, well, likely a high second round pick from Toronto. And, and again, those are the kind of moves, the creative moves, and, and you know, with some risk involved that they had to make considering where they were. So, you know, it remains to be seen, but, but I, I like what the Nets are doing. Yep. 
Absolutely. All right. Well, this has been the 32nd episode of the Latch Podcast with NBA senior writer and one of the best in the business, if not the best, Howard Beck. Howard, thanks so much for uh, for joining me. No, I enjoyed it, Sam. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And we can uh, follow you on Twitter at Howard Beck, correct? Absolutely, yes. Thank All right. You. Awesome. Thanks.